Could you imagine getting a job in one of the most iconic bars in the world off of an advert on Gumtree, the global classified ads website? Our guest did, and it kickstarted a career in the industry that would take her all over the world, including New York. I'm Susan Schwartz, your drinking companion, and this is Lush Life Podcast. Every week, we are inspired to live life one cocktail at a time by everyone in this industry. Rebecca Dooley took that first job and never looked back, creating award-winning cocktail menus for London Bar Kalu Calais, moving to New York to work at the Dead Rabbit, and now back to London. As well as working with The Umbrella Project, she has launched Discard the Zine, a new drinks industry magazine. She's here today to tell us how that first experience at Milk and Honey set the bar very high. Before we begin, you can find links on how to donate to some of your favorite bars or have cocktails delivered right to your door during this rough time on the homepage of my website, alushlifemanual.com. Now on to Rebecca. Uh, So, you know, I heard you speak at Imbibe Live when I first started my podcast and you were Mm -hmm. talking about menus. Yeah. And I remember, I don't remember if you said it or the other person who was speaking about always having an Aperol spritz on the menu because (laughs) (laughs) I think it's someone who owns a bar because people will just buy it no matter what. But from that moment, I was like, I I want her on my show. I Uh want her on my show, but I hardly even had a show yet. And I just launched it in June and it was July. And I'm like, I know I'm going to come back to her sooner or later. And here we are. That must have been like two or three or four years ago. How long ago? Well, I just I launched um, Lush Life in 2016. Okay, so So it must have been like, and that was I think June 7th. So it was probably just three weeks later. Yeah, 2016. So yeah, three nearly four years ago. Wow, cool. I know. Is that crazy? Look, yeah, but look, and you've been around the world and back, and now you're here. Yeah. So, um, well, I would love to know a little bit more about you. Okay. What I didn't glean in that. Um, so why don't we start kind of where I always start? I was just wondering if you could tell me a little bit about where you grew up mm-hmm. and um, how you found your way into this crazy business. Sure. Um, I, I'm from London originally, North London or Camden. Um, uh, Camden has a big bar, uh, live music, lots of um, venues and clubs and pubs in that area. Um I, one of my first jobs was flyering in Camden, so handing out flyers for the music events that they had there. Um, so I kind of always grew up in the, like, have you, have you been to Camden Town? Yes, of course. Yeah, so like even just walking down the street, like it's all like a party vibe. I mean, it's not that great during the day when everyone's drunk and day drunk and hungover. But um, yeah, growing up in Camden was like a cool, um, quite unique experience. It's definitely not really... Uh, any, it's it's not really what it's what, what how it used to be, which is such like an old thing to say. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, you still get that vibe, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Camden <laughs> is if you're going to pick any place, even you know, I guess Camden and um, and Chelsea always feel like there's a party going on. Yes, uh, like quite similar, but very two di- two very different places. But it, you you know now there's a lot of shops there and a lot of chain shops, but it used to all be market stores and they were all like independent retailers. Yeah. And um, there weren't any like big super clubs. It was all like proper old school London pubs and old school live music venues. Um, and then I started 
bar well started working in a pub as a glass collector when I was like 16 and then started bartending quickly gave that up uh and what was it that you didn't like about bartending the people (laughs) (laughs) the people you were working with or the people you were serving the people I was serving I love I love uh the people that I was working with at the time it was the Macbeth actually on Hoxton Street which is still there and the people who were my bosses then um Melanie and Mark, so it's independently owned, owned by a couple. They're still the bosses now, um, and they were great. They were fantastic. Um, I think I'm just not – I like working now. I work in marketing and PR and events and that side of thing. things. I'm much – I don't like being in constant in, interaction with people every day. Um, and I think to be a bartender or, or to work at a bar, like whether you're a server or a door person, you need to, like, be able to switch it on and – Oh yeah, I used to. I'm a bit anti-social, anti-social by nature, so it doesn't come easily to me. Um, so, look, well, you found yourself back in bars, so, so yeah. obviously something was drawing you back in. Yeah. Um, when what, were you studying, or um, what were you thinking that you might want to do when you grow up? Well, or had I, no idea. Yeah, I don't think I really had any idea. Um, I didn't go to college or to university, so um, I wasn't studying. Um, at that time I don't know I had like at one point I decided I was going to be a vet and I was going to go back to school and because I love animals but obviously that didn't happen I was interested in interior design um, but I didn't I had no plan Um, I didn't know what I was doing just hoping that it worked out and it kind of did but well obviously we're here definitely (laughs) something worked out yeah maybe not maybe not vet school but something worked out so um, I know that you started in milk and honey, but what was what I, I, I you know there's the, there's the um, the the story the urban myth that you saw an ad in something yeah that, you, that that attracted you. So what was it about that ad, and where did you see it? It was an advert on Gumtree, which I don't know if you that no one really uses Gumtree anymore, but um, yeah, it was a job advert, and I I'd never heard of milk and honey. I didn't know what it was. Um, this was. 2010 I think 2009 um so it had won world's best bar a couple of times um but that to me didn't mean anything it paid did they did they say that in the ad like what was the ad do you remember it I don't know I don't think they did say that I like I now know the the person that wrote it Jonathan Cowley who was the general manager for a long time I think that he didn't want someone who was into all of that kind of are you allowed to swear on this (laughs) but um, so I think now looking back on it, he specifically didn't want someone who was like heavily into the bar industry. He wanted someone who was going to come and do their job and be nice to guests and go home, uh, which is what I did. And the bartenders would do trainings and exams and uh, menu trainings and tastings, spirit tastings. And I like never understood what was going on. I thought they were so weird because I'd only worked in pubs and the idea that they would do sit down written exams. I was like, these people are weird. And no, wait, wait a sec to back up for a second. Do yeah. you remember, do you remember your interview for that job? Yeah. 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 I remember the interview with John. Yeah. I mean, I was like 21 at the time or so, which I think helped. So I had this kind of cheerful optimism and like I was bright eyed and uh, quite innocent, I guess. Um, but he knew that I was completely clueless. Yeah. I think, he, I think he liked it. I think that was like an asset. Uh, so, so then you saw what these bartenders were doing. You're like, oh, screw that. See, I can say yeah. that. You yeah. Said that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I feel, it wasn't so much that I was like, 
oh, I don't like that. I just, it didn't make any sense to me. Like I'd only drank in pubs. So the idea that bartenders were like trained professionals um, who were doing this as a career was like, was a new idea to me. I didn't understand it. And I think one thing as well was that they all hung out with each other. Like now I know how the bar industry is and everyone does, everyone hangs out with each other. Like it's a community or a family, you could say. But at the time I thought that was really strange that they worked together and then they finished work and they hung out. Like when I finished work, I wanted to go and see my friends or go home. I did not want to hang out with the people that I just spent eight hours with. Um, So I didn't understand it at the time. It was only afterwards when I looked back that I was like, God, that's, that was a really good bar. Like when I, when I went on and worked in other places that weren't as good, but they paid more money. So I thought it was a good career move and then got there and was like, this bar sucks. <laughs> like why aren't, why aren't they seating people properly? Well, you know, there are too many people crowded at that, at that table. Or that table has been waiting too long for a drink. So John had kind of instilled these pillars of hospitality and cocktail bartending in me without me even realizing Mm-hmm. Um, so I think having milk and honey is my first cocktail bar uh, experience wor- working on the door in a, in a way it, it set the bar very high and uh, it taught me things where I didn't realize that I was learning but it, it taught me a lot and also I guess it made you want to stay in that industry as well yeah because you just said you went on to work in other bars it wasn't as if you said forget it, I'm doing something else yeah uh, I think I guess I realized that I could I mean, I didn't have any qualifications and I think I realized that I could be good at it. Yeah, I think I enjoyed it. Um, The money was good for someone. I mean, looking back, it wasn't great, but for someone who was 21 and uh, yeah, it was fun uh, getting the bus into Soho every day and like meeting new people. It was always a, every night was an experience. Um, and I, I did enjoy it, but I think there's also a part that I didn't really have any uh, other options. I mean, I had worked in retail. I guess that's a, I worked in retail and I hated it and knew that I was never going to go back to that, even though I did it for a couple of years and worked in a few different shops. Um, so I guess I must have liked it. Yeah. I certainly didn't think at the time, like, this is what I want to do with my life. I was also only working as, um, well, only, but uh, my limited experience was kind of handing out flyers, collecting glasses, hanging coats, selling tickets and working on the door, Um, which, I mean, gave me a little bit of insight, but weren't things that at that point I wanted to make a career out of. So, yeah, I had to grow and adapt and find my place, I guess, in the industry. Uh So you said that you then went to work in several bars that didn't Mm. have the same yeah. way of working as milk and honey. When did you find the next bar that you felt did have that and you thought, oh yeah, yeah, this yeah. is this is this is the right way. Yeah. So the next bar uh, was Kalukale. Um I think I started working there in 2011 or 2012. Um which I mean it's like an East London Shoreditch party bar and at the time uh, I mean, it's still, don't get me, it's still a great bar. I don't want to, it's still a fantastic bar. But at the time, there's like Sean Ware working there, Andrea Montague, uh, Victor Nordloff, Simon Tui. Like, there were so many fantastic people working there. And um, I joined their team as a reservationist. And I remember, um, yeah, my interview for, for that very well as well. But um, yeah, so I was doing like office work during the daytime, taking bookings, answering emails. Did you realize what you 
who those people were then. You know, when you went to Milk and Honey, you didn't really know yeah, Milk no, and I, Honey. Did exactly. you know what you were getting into this time? I did. Yeah, I did my research. Mm-hmm. So I looked at their website. Like I came prepared to my interview. Like I'd, I'd, I'd worked out <laughs> who everyone was and and uh, what they did there. So yeah, I was I studied well. I think that's why I got the job because I was. Mm-hmm prepared and I kind of showed them that I knew everything. What was it like working in a place that was so hot at that time? Um, it was great. Um, it, it was a it was a really fun time and working with so many talented people was really important. Like Andrea Montague, who was my bar manager, she now works for Bacardi as uh, ambassador for Scotch whiskey. Um, and that was, you know, 10 years ago, but we're still close friends now and we still do work together. Like I did a seminar at the Dewar's Distillery a few months ago. Um, and Sean Ware, who was the general manager who now works for Bacardi. And I'm, I was just doing some writing for Bacardi last week. So those relationships that I built then are still, I mean, they're friendships now, but we still do do work together. So I think the best thing about working at Cluclay at that time was definitely the people that I met and the things that I learned from them. Like, especially seeing Andrea, a woman, um, similar in age to me, like very, with like a year between us, um, seeing her in this position of power, uh, who was so highly respected and so smart and talented. I was like, oh, okay, like she's made this into a career and she was traveling a lot as well. Uh, like winning competitions and going to make drinks at the Pendennis Club or going to New York on like a martini tour. I was like, oh, this is a, okay, this is a thing. Like she's shaped this career for herself. Maybe I can do something similar. So it was, it was an inspirational time, I think. And you, I know you saw your uh, position grow in that time to then winning a Spirited Award. Yeah. For um, one of your menus. And of course being shortlisted many times for other times. But um, how did you get even into the cocktail menu creation? Um, so when I started at Cluclay, I was just doing reservations and bookings and they didn't really have social media. And this was um, nine, eight, nine years ago. Um, so I started doing Twitter. I was like, hey, you guys don't really have, you don't really do social media. Do you mind if I um, start doing some stuff? And Richard, the owner was like, yeah, it's fine. No worries. Um, so I started doing Twitter and then Facebook and then later started doing Instagram we did YouTube video content um and then that was going well um because there weren't really many bars at the time doing uh social media um, I know but, it sounds so crazy today I know, I know but it was really I mean it's really early on yeah and because we were one of the first people doing it like people were so interactive with us um so it was almost like a full-time job just talking to people on Twitter, Twitter and Facebook. Um, and then because that was quite successful, I took on the website, uh, just updating the website and taught myself some design stuff from that. Um, when I was at school, design, art and design were my art, design and English were my um, favorite topics. And I'd done some work with graphic design just in, like on Photoshop before. Um, and so I asked, well, so eventually, I, then I started doing the PR. Um, because I was building relationships with writers and press because they would come to the events at Kaluklay. Um, and at the time we had a PR company, but we kind of realized we didn't need one. Um, so I, I took over doing the PR. So we bought that in-house, which obviously helped save the business money. Um, and this happened over the course of a couple of years. So it wasn't like an instant thing, but 
then with the cocktail menus, I knew that they cost a lot of money to produce. So I was like, will, will you let me have a go um, at designing it? So they did. And they liked it. So that we printed it. And then it, that's just how it continued to happen. So which which one did you win the award for? Um, so I think in that year, because we, we released two a year. Um, in that year, we'd released the cassette tape menu. And I think the Pantone color book, but definitely the cassette tape one. I know the first time I went to Clue, um, that was the menu I had, was really? the cassette one. And I still remember it to this day because I'm a big menu fan as well. That's I'm a cool. big menu collector and I wish I had one of those. But yeah. I remember saying to my boyfriend, oh my God, I love this so much. <laughs> so it's really one of the menus that I remember from ages ago That's really of drinking there. I know. I was like, I hope she says the cassette one. Yeah, it was a great menu. And I oh, think it was um, fabulous. Yeah, and it was like fun and it was interactive. Um, uh, and it was great to have success with that menu. And that was like one of the first times that me and Andrea had collaborated on something. Like she did the drinks, I did the design. We worked together on the wording because obviously uh, how you word a menu is equally, if not more important as how it's designed. Um, so we worked together on on creating it and we were really, it was great to get the recognition. I mean, it was kind of insane to get that recognition because we weren't, designers didn't have any qualifications or any professional experience um but I really like I guess the lesson that comes from that which is that ideas are worth so much more than money like you can have someone who has great ideas and you don't have the financial backing but if you can make it happen then you can be 10 times more successful than a, a designer who has 10 years of experience and limitless budget to create things um so yes that was a that was insane actually because we didn't expect to win at all but, and someone told us that we hadn't won. Um, <gasps> so I won't say. <laughs> did they do that on purpose? She did it on purpose. Like, yeah. Oh. oh. Um, so we just we we had just planned on, on getting drunk because we we're like, oh well, we haven't. She she told us we didn't win, so let's just drink this bottle of champagne, and then we're like, oh, what the hell? Oh, um, and then you staggered up to the <laughs> to get your award. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. But it was a nice way to do it because it took away any of the fear or anticipation. And made it that much more exciting, obviously, to win it. Yes, because uh -huh. it was uh -huh. completely, completely unexpected. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, really, that's like the top, you know, winning an award that 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 and that accolade um, once you've done something, it's hard to go on to something else. So mm -hmm. what what attracted you to your next thing? Um, so I stayed at Kalukale for quite long. In, in all, I was there for five years. And I started as a reservationist and then by the end was the events marketing and PR manager. But I always say Kalukale was like a like a bad ex-boyfriend that you always went back to. Like I, I, I think I left like three times um, and would always end up going back there somehow. And it's like, why do I need to, <laughs> I need to move on from this? Um, so I went freelance for a while um and yeah was doing like free freelance marketing work for people that was like after three or four years of being at clue play and then um started working for cast liquid marketing mm -hmm. we looked after people like octo tequila and san germain and um, mount gay and um, hobo beer and a few other products uh, so I was working with them and then it's actually hard to remember because it feels like so well, long ago. Was it different working for a product than working for a bar? 
it was really different and that was an intention I wanted to learn about that side of the business so it was like an intentional move um yeah to learn about the the drinks industry and how to market a brand and sell, selling alcohol basically mm-hmm. um but yeah it was really interesting to work across a variety of brands because really at that point I'd only been working with um Calucale. So yeah, it I, it wasn't for me for sure, but I'm pleased that I did it and that I learned about it. So then, one of the most famous bars in the world um, called your name, and well, you moved. I moved. You moved yeah. <laughs> to moved New York, York City. Yeah. So this kind of how this is. Let's think. So I met uh, Sean Muldoon and Jack McGarry in Paris when I, I went. Me and Andrea went there for the Paris Bar Show, and he. It was a weird uh, story. Because they were all, they were really interested in cocktail menus as well. So I saw them in Glass in Paris, which has since sadly closed. And I was like, I'm going, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. So I went over the over to them. I was like, you, are you Sean Mordin, Jack McGarry? And um, Jack was like, Yeah, you're Rebecca Dooley. And I was like, Oh, what the hell? <laughs> and he's like, We really like your cocktail menus. And I was like, Right, okay, cool. Um, so I spoke to them and then uh, got Jack's. I don't think I don't think they have business cards actually. I think they just he gave me his email address. And I sent them my CV uh, the next day. And that was probably like 2014, no, 2013 even. Um, and we stayed in touch. Um, I stayed in touch with both of them. And they came to um, to London uh, a couple of times every year to, to check out bars. And whenever they were here, I would meet up with them. Um, and then 2015, I started doing something called the London Sessions, which is like a series of talks with uh, leaders in the bar industry that was quite not too dissimilar to this like talking about their journey their lives um I was really interested in the idea of success and what it means to people and uh Sean uh was our first guest um so he came over to London to do that um and I kind of intentionally would always try and work with him on things so we got them over to London to do a, an event at Calucale for London Cocktail Week. Um, like whenever I had an opportunity, I would w- I would work with them. It was my like for a long time I wanted to work at Deb Rabbit from the first day that I read about it, which was before it opened. It was reviewed by Diffid's Guide and got a five five star review, which was controversial because it hadn't opened. Right. Um, yeah, a lot of people <laughs> thought that was a bit unfair, which I can kind of understand. But yeah, since I first read it. I'm half Irish, so that was a big thing for me as well. Seeing, seeing what they had managed to achieve, um, even the, du- the were- dually, the dually kind of gives it away. Yeah, Irish. <laughs> um, I think as well what they'd achieved at the Merchant. So the Merchant is still the only bar to have won uh, was Best Bar that's not in London and, or New York. Um, it, it's in Belfast, obviously, and I think that people forget. Like so many people think about Deb Rabbit, but they forget that. The merchant where Sean and Jack worked beforehand won World's Best Bar, won World's Best Cocktail Menu, menu won World's Best Bar Team. And it's that's unheard of. Like a bar in right. Belfast, like bars in Edinburgh don't even do that, or bars in Manchester. Like, And I, I, I really like to use it as an example because people talk about, oh, you can't win awards if you don't pay for marketing or you don't have a budget for designers or PR. Well, they didn't have that money at the merchant. And Belfast is it's barely a capital city, so... Uh, I think what they achieved there I found so interesting because no one had done that and no one since has done that, uh, Mm. in in my opinion. And there's obviously a lot of arguments about awards and what you have to do to win them. And I really think that the merchant defied 
all of those are the arguments that people even have now I think when you're like but what about these guys that did it in Belfast it kind of debunks any any argument that it's to do with money um so yes they were on my radar for a long time and I kind of engineered I guess that was one of the first things that I actively actively was like I want to do this like this is the next thing for me in my career and worked for a long time to make it happen but I think I still uh, was quite shocked when it actually did happen um I was in New York I was working with the London Edition Hotel and we were in New York doing some events uh, at the New York Edition um I was the director of communications for the edition at that point so things had kind of gone quite like from reservationist to director of communications yeah. for a global hotel group was I I think I was pretty underqualified for that job and didn't do very well at it. But anyway, I was in New York with them and I organized to meet Sean for a drink. We went to McSorley's, which I love. One of my favorites, yes. I used to live in New York, yeah. Ah, I was going to ask you where you're from, actually. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And he said, he's like, listen, me and Jack have decided that we want to have you over here. He's like, well, um, they organized my visa and an immigration lawyer and everything were you uh, just like oh my yay finally yeah, yeah I was like what the hell bye-bye London edition hello dead rabbit yeah and it was kind of awkward because I was on a work trip from London edition so <gasps> I had to go on my thing with Sean to meet them at PDT and I think I was late so that they were mad at me and I couldn't tell them it was so annoying uh-huh. so I, I, you want to be like I got my dream job but you can't because that's your boss no you can always blame it on the subway in New York you know oh I was late because of the subway it was traffic um so yeah it was a yeah it was great it was I was so uh, yeah so happy so delighted and what was that like working in New York for what was considered and is still considered one of the best bars in the world yeah it was crazy I mean I I love New York as a city I think it's so beautiful um I know that it's not perfect by any means I know there's not there's a lot of like wealth disparity and bad things that happen there but to me it just speaks of like enterprise like the whole city just feels electric yeah uh even when you don't buy into the American dream or like you know that I think that for me when I'm there I can't help but feel like wow this is feels magic to me and I think as well with the water you're surrounded by water you can especially down there where the um, yeah yeah, where Dead Rabbit is yes you have a Statue of Liberty right there you have the financial Mm -hmm. district you can see Brooklyn I think you can see New Jersey the other side um uh, there's always an amazing skyline like even looking at New Jersey it's beautiful um uh, the, all the bridges like I lived in Brooklyn across the bridge to get to work every day and that is always gorgeous um so just the way that New York is physically I love it the noises of it like when it's cold it's freezing cold when it's hot it's so sweaty and humid and like every part of New York I feel like is extreme it doesn't do anything in in small measures like, yeah Never. just by its nature which can be good good and it can be bad as well um so just being there, I loved. And uh, Deb Rabbit also is pretty extreme. So you you can't do anything half-heartedly. Um, they expect you to give your all. Um, there's no uh, no hangover days, no tired days. Like you, there is no there is no reason or excuse you can possibly give them for not doing your best every day. So it's it was very demanding. 
uncompromising. Um, and it, I, it was three years that I was there. And it was great. I learned so much. Um, I still speak to Sean every week, um, sometimes more. And I made a lot of great friends there. Um, yeah, it was a great experience just to see how they, how they do things. And was it um, work-wise, the things that you were doing, uh, was it everything you expected? Were you, uh, did new things pop up that you thought, I want to explore that later? Um, yeah. Or was, were you, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Okay. Uh, so we, they, Deb Rabbit worked with, um, everything was the best of the best. So they had a design company. So I wasn't really doing any design work. I um, see this is where I get, they had a, a copywriter. So he did all the writing. So I wasn't really doing any writing. Um, I th- I kind of think I was more, I worked pr- m- primarily under Sean. Uh, he's the person that I reported to. I, I, Jack is kind of the drinks and the, the HR side of things. And Sean is like the creative media side of things. Um, I worked on a lot, a lot of events and mm-hmm. great events. So events in Mexico and events in London, events in New Orleans. Um, so there was quite a lot of travel in it. I think. Did was, you did you miss the writing and the being creative? I did miss the writing, yeah. But I, I kind of like I did some writing for Difford's Guide, and I was able, I guess, to hone my skills in other areas. Um, but I always. Uh, will feel feel the need to write something and then like find an outlet find someone to print it for me or or do something uh with it so yeah I think that's not yeah I definitely missed missed the writing yeah uh-huh. um yeah so I think I'm, I'm more like I learned a lot and also just dealing with it was such, dealing with such a higher caliber of I don't want to say people, but professionals, and also budgets. Uh, like we did a lot of work with Bushmills, and just sometimes you're looking at money where you're like, "What the hell?" Like I don't know, half a million dollars or something that they that they're putting on an activation. Um, that and that what we're doing it would be like an, an integral part of it. Um, we worked a lot more with brands. Um, yeah, I, I think I le- I learned a lot while I was there, but. I I don't know if I, did, if I did it. I definitely worked very hard and did a lot every day, but I think it was more like smaller tasks mm-hmm. than I was used to dealing with. Like um, I don't know if I maybe took a back seat to kind of see how other people do things. And I did a lot of logistical things, um, like with the, the books, especially the Irish pub tour book, organizing all the interviews and the itinerary for the tour, which doesn't sound like a lot, but we visited a hundred pubs and it was an eight week, eight week trip. Oh so boy. There was a, yeah, there was a lot of, well, it was two, four week trips actually. We broke it up into two, but um, yeah. So I think it was, it was a different, I don't know if it's different to what I expected, but it was definitely different to what I had done before. Mm-hmm. So what brought you back to London um, after those, that time there? Yeah. So I had a three year visa and I could have extended it for another two years and then applied for a, for a green card. But I just kind of, I'd gone as far within Deb Rabbit as I was ever going to go, I think. Um, like, I, I, there wasn't, like, because they have, they use professional writers and they use professional Right, of course. Like, I was never, yeah, I, I felt like I'd progressed as much as I could. Um, and I miss London. My brother had just had a baby. Um, my first nephew 
Uh, so I wanted to, and my boyfriend also lives in London. Um, so I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to come home. Yeah. And did you come home having any plans to work? No, uh, not really. No, and I, I actually, I spoke to Jeff about it beforehand and because I knew that I wanted to, to come back to London, but I didn't want to do it without their blessing. So that was like a really important part of it to me was like having their support and they both understood why I made that decision and were like fully behind me doing it. So, uh, yeah, I was really pleased with the way that that worked out. It's a shame they were meant to be in London in March, uh, well, mm. end of March, beginning of April, but obviously their trip was cancelled because of coronavirus. Um, but, yeah, when I came back, I did not have any plans to work. I don't know what, I, like, which is so stupid. I don't know what I was thinking. But they say that sometimes we need, especially, like, now, what's happening now, You like, it's okay to not fill your life with lots of things right away. You can have that time. Yeah. To breathe and go, okay, what next? Um, yeah. Without any stress. And lucky yeah. you, you got that. You were able to have that. I was able to have that. And I was like, I didn't have a bunch of savings, but I had enough money to cover a couple of months' rent. Um, so I didn't need to worry about anything immediately. Um, but I didn't know what I wanted to do because for so long my focus had been on working at Deb Rabbit. And it was a weird thing to to do that to like achieve what you're focused on because then you're like well what next like and so young yeah uh yeah (laughs) it doesn't feel like that but um yeah it was straight and like still for me there is no uh you know places get awarded world's best boy and you know deb rabbit i think it's 2015 2016 that it won and um i know it hasn't won that award in a few years but to me it will like it will always be up there i don't think that it passes depending on the year or depending on the year that this bunch like for me it's still up there and there's nowhere there's nowhere else that i would have wanted to work so i really yeah struggled with that for a while um but then I have a friend, Andy, Andy Kerr, who owns the Sun Tavern and Discount Suit Company and Umbrella Brewing. And we'd done some work with him, actually, with Deb Rabbit. Deb Rabbit had done a couple of London Cocktail Week events there. Um, and, yeah, so I <laughs> approached him. And uh, now I work with them and their events, marketing, PR, uh, branding, a uh, bit of design. Yeah. So you're back to doing some of your design. Yes, back to doing some of the design. Yeah. Uh, we do work with a designer, Rory, so he does the majority of it. But I, I really like uh, the, the team at uh, the Sun Tavern and Umbrella. Is, yeah. I, I guess one thing I didn't like about New York was how competitive it is. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, like often you know, people don't necessarily support you because they want to be better than you. Or, uh, maybe that's like a real sweeping statement, but it's definitely everyone wants to be top dog. Yeah, yeah. do you agree? I I lived there for a long time. Of course, I loved it. I was there for a long, long time. Um, But there sometimes can be that trade, I call it the trade-up mentality, where everyone wants to trade up. So the next thing you do has to be always better or, or, you know, like dating. The next guy you date, the next woman you date always has to be a little bit better than the one that you've left behind. Yeah. It's like 100%, and it's such a, I feel like it's so ingrained in the culture there, and it's so ingrained in people's thinking that you can't get away from it. Um, uh-huh. And I'm, I am a competitive person, but I don't, not on that level. Like, I don't want to compete with 
my teammates. So, you know, mm-hmm. it just doesn't make sense to me. So uh, I really love that umbrella that the team, like there's another designer, Rory, and he's fantastic. And we work on stuff together sometimes and sometimes we don't. And there's another mm-hmm. writer, John, who's also fantastic. And I don't resent having to work with him. I Like I enjoy it. Um, yeah, so it's a, my, yeah, my favorite thing about Umbrella is definitely the team, the, the people that, that I work with. Now, one thing I'm holding, I have a copy on my iPad right here, okay. your, your magazine. Yeah. So you have a magazine, which is very exciting. Yeah, and exciting. I assume you had a lot to do with the design and obviously the words, because you've written a lot in there. So how did Discard, the zine, um, come into being? Um, okay, so I guess, so Gareth Evans, who is the global ambassador for Elix, is a good friend of mine, and we are, have a, <laughs> we're close friends, but we have a friendship that's built off, oftentimes, talking about things that we don't like. Um, we're very quick to be like, this is crap, we should have, we, we would have done it differently, which is such a mean thing to say. But I think we just, we, I mean, I love writing, I love designing, and we've done the London sessions together. Um, and we both needed uh, a creative outlet where we could practice the things that we love doing. For me, that's design and writing. Um, for Gareth as well, he's also a great writer. He has a war and tour Instagram and Facebook page. Um, but we wanted Which to- Which is like one of my favorites of all it's time. It's so funny, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and yeah, we wanted to create a platform. When we did the London sessions, for me, that was about exploring the idea of success. And recently, I think I've been very interested in failure. And I think people don't talk about it. And one of our good friends, Liam, he had a bar and restaurant that he closed. And my boyfriend had just closed one of his bars as well. Um, and he didn't talk about it because that it wasn't like a done thing. It was like, you know, you close it and you pretend that it didn't happen. But I think I, I just, I, I like the idea of talking about it and having a platform to talk about things that people don't normally talk about, like failure. And um, we have Rosie from Free Sheets writing about gay bars um, and just, just exploring different topics that I think aren't, always given the airtime that they deserve I think it's insane that we have so many great industry publications and never once have I read an article about a gay bar that just doesn't make like it's the gay bars are part of the bar industry why do we why do we pretend that they don't exist and why do we pretend that people don't close bars bars close all the time but we we talk about everyone's successes and how fantastic they're doing but we don't talk about the bad things um as well so yeah, it's really, we both enjoyed do, doing um, Discard and we we fund it ourselves, so it's not a cheap hobby. Um, it's but, really beautifully done. It's so beautiful. I, on the on the iPad, it looks fantastic. I mean, oh. I think, you know, almost equal to, if not, um, The New Yorker, which does such an amazing job with oh. um, an, uh, something that you read online. Yeah you know, there's a difference between just reading something online and having something that looks good. Cause I've been reading a lot of books online lately and you know, it's such a pleasure when it's something that's written to be seen online. 
Well, that's very kind of you. Thank you. Good feedback. But I'll make sure we send you a print copy this oh. year, so you can uh, hold one as well. Um, but that should be out. Well, no, it should be. It, it and also, be. it re it reminded me a lot of Lucky Peach, which is one of my oh, favorites. So that's where we got a lot of inspiration from. Yeah, it's, uh -huh. uh, Lucky Peach and Noble Rock um, were kind of uh, yeah. And I was touched by Edmonds um, of of Oriole and HR Fame's article. Yeah. About um, about uh, you know what failure and competition and what that's like in this industry because I'm quite even four years of doing this I still you know am am and pretty much of an outsider. Okay. Of dipping you know dipping my toe in and not quite being part of that family but keeping reading it and trying to be and you know it was really I was really touched by that article. Um, in it it was so interesting it was great it was so interesting I'm really pleased you said that and I hope Edmund uh hears this but one thing we've been really um fortunate and thankful for is that people have kind of taken a risk like especially with the first issue we didn't have anything to show them but we like we want people to write not necessarily controversial things but we want them to be honest and sincere and hopefully to talk about things that they haven't spoken about before um so that what and Edmund like opened up completely, and so did Liam talking about closing bad sports. So we've been really lucky that people have um, allowed themselves to be vulnerable. I think especially Liam's piece is quite vulnerable. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so that I mean that's it's kind of like curating an art gallery. Like if you don't have the other people's pieces of art in it, then it's then it's crap. So uh, we've been really fortunate that the people we've approached have um, really uh filled the brief and um opened up and kind of ex explored different ideas yeah so are you working are you working on the second issue yeah we, <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's we're lucky because it's it's kind of easier now that we have like the design template and everything set up um but it's a bit harder to do it in isolation of course on lockdown I think everyone's mental health is kind of all over the place at the moment so for some people it's hard to be motivated um for other people it's just hard to focus or so it's been a it's been a challenge but it will uh be printed <laughs> it will exist hopefully in uh, a month's time well I can't wait to read it Thanks and um I thank you so much for taking the time and being here and talking about your progression. It's been really exciting. It's been really enjoyable. Thank you so much for asking me loads of questions. I, <laughs> we should go for a drink so I can reciprocate and, and get to know you too. Um, I would love that. I can, maybe in a, well, maybe we'll find out on Sunday if we're yeah. allowed out again. Yeah. I and, so. and at one of those wonderful bars, one actually the discount suit company was one of the bars that I went to right before we, uh, oh really we had to stay in yes it's one of my favorites so oh, yeah um, me too I, mi I miss it I so miss we're gonna have a drink there i know it all right yeah. sooner than yeah. later all right yeah. thanks all right. so much yeah thank you after we'd finished i asked as a home bartender herself what her advice would be to the rest of us plus of course where she would drink if she could be anywhere in the world <laughs> um the I, I do have a home bar um, but that is because my flatmate works for Bacardi and my boyfriend um, works, owns free sheets. So we have a lot of bar products at home. Very few of them are mine. Um, we drink quite a lot of wine at home, but I, the only drink that I make myself is a vodka soda. 
Um, (laughs) anything more complicated I have to get someone else to make it for me my tips would be always have ice uh always have ice always have um fresh lime fresh citrus and always have soda and live with bartenders I love that yes Yes. order in order in which we can now do because there are so many great bars selling fantastic drinks absolutely yeah but I can't help anyone make drinks I'm sorry I got no idea it's all right. <laughs> that, that's, that's great. I love those. That's good advice. Now, obviously you work for a lot of, you work for bars, but, and you've already said you love Dad Rabbit, but if there is one place that you could have a drink right now, could where would that be? I know it's a tough one. Such a hard question, um, but I think three sheets. Um, I'm going to choose three sheets as my number one, but my number two would be somewhere like the American bar at the Savoy. So like three sheets, local neighborhood, great, uh, great small, small team. Um, or the American bar for like some luxury and being treated and spoiled. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I miss them both dearly. I mean, I would go to any bar right now, to be honest with you. I'll go to a TGI Fridays and I really... <laughs> I know. It's a hard question to ask right now or to answer right now, no, really, great, because we, we're question. desperate to go to any bar. It's a great um, question. And I think that this, the way that everything is at the moment, it's making people more aware of how much they love and value and miss their bars and how important they are. Absolutely. Yeah. It was great having Rebecca on the show. I had seen her speak at the drinks conference imbibe live about four years ago, right when Lush Life was launched, and it was amazing to hear everything she's done since that time. Last week, we celebrated World Gin Day and World Bourbon Day, but now it's time to toast to World Martini Day, which is upcoming on June 19th with Rebecca's favorite and our cocktail of the week. So this is Rebecca's Espresso Martini, our cocktail of the week, which has the added benefit of a little salted coffee liqueur. To make this salted coffee liqueur, you'll need to mix 300 grams of coffee liqueur, 340 grams of two to one sugar syrup, and three grams of Malden sea salt together. A trick is to combine the liqueur and salt separately before adding the sugar syrup as the salt won't fully dissolve otherwise. Now to make the espresso martini. Add all of the following ingredients to a shaker. 20 mils of your salted coffee liqueur, 40 mils of Grey Goose vodka, and 25 mils of espresso. Add ice and then shake, shake, shake. Then strain all of the ingredients into a coupe glass and top with three coffee beans. You'll find this recipe, more espresso martini recipes, more martini recipes, and loads of gin and bourbon recipes, plus all the cocktails of the week at alushlifemanual.com, as well as links to all the ingredients. I've been eating way too much on lockdown. So now I'm on a diet, which is way tougher than I thought it would be. So goodbye bread, crisps, and sweets. Oh, that doesn't mean I'm giving up booze, though. If you live for Lush Life, make sure you're giving back to the bars you love by donating 
or taking part in cocktail delivery where you live. Theme music for Lush Life is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. And Lush Life is always and will be forever produced by Evo Terra and Simpler Media Productions. Which leads me to say the wise words of Oscar Wilde, all things in moderation, including moderation. And always drink responsibly and wash your hands and stay safe. Next week, we have the brand ambassador of Hendrix Gin, a dream job that she actually dreamed about and got. Until that time, bottoms up.